So this is not anything new as far as me being here, but being in this position, mounting the pulpit, is something that I'm not doing every week. And when I have the opportunity to do this, I take it very, very seriously. I don't take it for granted. And I know that this is a serious position to be in. It's not something to go about flippantly. It's not something to go about lightly. And so I come before you today with fear and trembling. And what I mean by that is I know that every word that I speak from this pulpit, I will be accountable to Jesus for. And so if I say anything out of my flesh, anything that's coming from me and not from the Lord, I'm going to be held accountable for that. And I take that very, very seriously. So being here before you is not something that I jump to and I look for every opportunity to. I really don't want to be in this position. It's a weighty position. It's a serious position. Only reason I'm in this position is because God makes me <laughs> do it. Um, I can remember back in December, God has certain ways that he talks to me. And God told me that in my 33rd year of life that I was going to be preaching more. And sure you know, to his standard and his truth, um, that's what's been happening. I've, I just preached yesterday morning, preaching with you tonight. Um, I've already preached on Miles campus this semester. Uh, I preached on my birthday. Um, I have to preach again next month on Good Friday. Um, I'm just constantly given these opportunities to preach that I'm not asking for. And so um, I don't take it lightly that I'm having the opportunity to be here. And I don't want you to hear from me primarily. I want you to hear from the Lord. I want you to hear the word of God. I don't want you to hear Dion's words. My words have no weight. They have no meaning. They don't have any power. I want you to hear from the word of God. And so that being said, would you stand with me as we honor God's word? We're going to be in different texts tonight, but primarily in Matthew chapter 10 and in Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have them, they're going to be on the screen. So you'll be able to see it and follow along with me. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 26. It says, therefore. Don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
also Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul's writing here, and he says this, it's short, it's simple, and straight to the point. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the word of God. You may have your seats. Father in heaven, once again, I come to you asking, Lord, that you fill me up, that it not be my words that go forth, but it be your word. And Lord, I pray for those who are under the sound of my voice, that they would receive this word with gladness, that it would rest on their hearts, and that if anyone in here does not know you, that they would come to know you. And for my brothers and sisters who do know you, that they would be encouraged and challenged by this word tonight. Lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, where we just read, we started off with the word in verse 26, therefore. So when you see therefore, that means what's coming after this, you need to know the context of what took place before it. And so not only right before what was said here, am I going to kind of get us to understand, but I want us to see what happened even from the very beginning of the book of Matthew. So the journey of the book of Matthew, right, starting in chapter one, from the very beginning, is the life of Jesus. Matthew is one of the Gospels. It's the first gospel that we see in the New Testament. And so the life of Jesus is started off to be shown to us by his birth. So in the beginning of Matthew, we see Jesus's birth. Then we go forward and we see Jesus's baptism. Now, at Jesus's baptism, we see the Trinity revealed to us. We see the Trinity present at the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And at that moment, when he's baptized, you hear the voice of God from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So that's the father, the voice of the father as Jesus is being baptized. And then it also says that you see a dove or the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus as a dove at that moment. So you see the Trinity there present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus. Then going forward from there, right after that, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And so there he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by the devil. And Jesus combats these temptations with scripture. And then after he combats these temptations and he overcomes the temptations, He's ministered to by angels. And then at this point, you see Jesus moving into his earthly ministry. And Jesus was 30 years old when his ministry began. And he moves into this earthly ministry by going around teaching and preaching. So in chapter five, we see the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the greatest sermons in all of Scripture. Um, as he continues to go forth, he starts to call the disciples along the way. So Jesus didn't call all the disciples at one time. All 12 didn't come to him at one time. He called them along the way. So in the beginning, you see Simon Peter um, and his brother Andrew, the first two disciples that are called. You also see another set of brothers and James and John. And as you continue to go forward, the rest of the 12 disciples are called. But most of the time that we see in the very beginning of Matthew up until this point, is Jesus doing ministry basically by himself. OK, now, chapter 10, when we get here, this is where we see as all the disciples have been called at this point and gathered, 
where Jesus is beginning to send them out to commission out the twelve. So that's the context leading up into this point is that Jesus has been doing his earthly ministry. We've seen him being born. We've seen him being baptized. We've seen him be tempted. We've seen him do his earth, begin his earthly ministry, going about healing, going about preaching. And now we see him as he was calling the disciples. We see him about to commission all 12 of them out. And so verse 16, get Carl to put that on the screen. Verse 16, we see Jesus talking to his disciples as he's about to send them out. And I want you to look and see what this says. Verse 16 says, look, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents or as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. What Jesus is showing and trying to prepare his disciples for. He's trying to prepare us for is that we are being sent out into a hostile world. The world around us is hostile to Christians and hostile to the message because the message of Christians is an offensive message. So we're being sent out into a hostile world with an offensive message. God is preparing us for this. Jesus is preparing us that as his disciples, we are sent out into a hostile world with an offensive message. This book right here, Pastor Alton has mentioned this book in the past. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Hope of the Nation. It's a, it's a book that those of us who are the elders and the elders in training in this church are going through together. And it's talking about um, the change in the culture here in America. Now, we got to think about America and the history of America. And I know there's a lot of injustice and a lot of evil that's been done in the history of America. But America was founded upon Christian principles, Christian values. And so for Christians here in America, it's hard for us to relate to hearing that we're being sent out like sheep among wolves because Christians have been protected in America. We have a lot of freedoms in America as Christians. What we are doing right now, the fact that I can come up here before you, read this word of God, that we can sing songs, that we can put scripture up on the screen, that I can be speaking scripture and, and preaching a sermon from a, a speaker system, a sound system, that the door right now is unlocked and anybody can walk in and walk out. That is a privilege that we should not be taking for granted. We need to understand that if we were in China right now, we could not do this. We cannot take what we're doing right now and plant that in China. The church in China has to serve together and worship together underground. They have to be hidden. They have to they cannot go around even having a Bible. The fact that y'all have Bibles out there right now. Y'all can't take that for granted because in China, you couldn't have this. If you're caught with this, you would be arrested. 
So we have a great privilege just by the fact that we're in America, that we can do this, that we can be in church freely. Look at these windows wide open. Everybody can see what we're doing. You can't do that if we were in other places across the globe. So hearing this, that we're being sent out like sheep among wolves, sometimes can be foreign to us, the hostility. But what this book is trying to get us to see is that America is getting more and more, the culture in America is getting more and more hostile to Christians, hostile to the gospel, hostile to what Christians have to say, the truths that we preach and teach from scripture. This world around us is getting more and more hostile to the gospel of Jesus. And we need to be prepared for that because it's something in America that we really haven't experienced. We don't really understand fully. We don't really understand the intense persecution that your lives could be on the line for being a believer. We don't understand that here in America. And so that's the first thing I want us to get this. I want us to understand is that we are being sent out into a hostile world with an offensive message. The message is becoming more offensive in our day. For instance, if, if Christians preach on what the Bible says about homosexuality in America, you will be called a homophobe. You will be labeled homophobic. I don't know about you. I'm not afraid of homosexuals. But you would be labeled homophobic for standing on the word of God to say that that's a sin. You would be a, you would be labeled homophobic to say that homosexuality is a sin in America, because as we continue to move forward in our culture, we have an offensive message and we're going out into a hostile world. So we need to understand that we are sent out by Jesus into a hostile world with an offensive message. Second thing that we need to understand today is that death is a guarantee. Death is coming for all of us. I want to give you this quote. It's uh, from Benjamin Franklin. You've probably heard it or something like it before. He says, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. You probably heard that before. But what I want to focus on is the certainty of death. He is right. Regardless of what happens with taxes and wherever you live and all that good stuff, that's not my concern. But I know for a fact that death is guaranteed. Everybody in this room will die. Unless the Lord Jesus comes back prior to our death, we will die. You know people who have died. History is filled with all the people who have lived and died. And that is going to be the result for each one of us. Unless the Lord comes back before that day. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Verses one and two. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth or a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time for us to be born and there's a time for us to die. Now, I know talking about death 
is difficult. A lot of people don't want to hear about death. A lot of people want to think about death. But I do want to say this to you. You may not want to think about death, but death is thinking about you. You may try to avoid it all you want to. You might try to put your mind on all the other things that distract us in this life. Sports and politics and all the other things that we try to put our minds on. But death is coming for all of us. It's a reality. It's a sobering reality, but it's a reality. It's coming. We need to be aware of that. We need to know that death is coming. It is a guarantee. Whether you are a believer, whether you are an unbeliever, death's coming. You can't avoid it. You can't hide from it. You can't outrun it. You can't work out enough. You can't take all the right vitamins and pills and all that kind of stuff to try to be in the perfect health. It doesn't matter. Death is coming. You and I will face death. It's a guarantee. So we need to understand that, that death is coming. Jesus is sending us out into a hostile world with a hostile message. And guess what? Death is coming. Now, Jesus was preparing his disciples for all of the persecutions that they were going to be facing. Prior to where he started in verse 26, saying, therefore, he was preparing them for the persecutions that were coming. Persecutions that brothers and sisters, Christians across the globe are facing right now. Brothers and sisters across the globe for the fact that they are Christians. They are having their heads chopped off. Just because they're Christians, just because they will not deny the name of Jesus. That's a reality for people across the globe. Not here for us at this point in time. It may be coming. But at this point in time, that's not a reality for us. But what the reality is and what the guarantee is, is that death is coming. It's guaranteed. And so knowing that death is coming. I want believers to think about this. Hebrews chapter two. Verse 14 and 15. It says, now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free. Those who were held in slavery all of their lives by what? The fear of death. The fear of death is slavery, y'all. If you fear dying, you are in a form of slavery. Our mission, our vision, excuse me, that we talk about all the time, that Patrick mentions every week when he stands up here, welcoming us here, is leading people out of Egypt and into the promised land of freedom. Egypt, in this sense, represents bondage. It represents slavery. Okay. Now, the core members here at Urban Hope Community Church, those of us who have been here for a while that have heard this over and over again, that understand what we're trying to do in the community of Fairfield, the core members here at Urban Hope may think that this vision statement is only for those out there. It's only for those that we're trying to reach with the gospel. So we may be thinking about this vision and what we are to do 
to bring those who are out there who are in Egypt, out of Egypt, into the promised land of freedom. But what if I told you that if you fear death, you're still in Egypt? Urban hope. You're still in slavery. Because the fear of death. Slavery. You're not free. You're restricted from what God is maybe calling you to do. If you fear death, you will not put your life on the line for the sake of the gospel. You will always hold back. You will always not be willing to do the things that God is calling you to do. He may be calling you to move to Fairfield. Oh, Fairfield's dangerous, man. It's shooting all the time out here. Cars get shot up in Fairfield. It's a, it's, it's a place that there's too much crime. There's too much danger in Fairfield. So if God's calling you to Fairfield and you fear death, you're in slavery because you won't do it. The fear of death keeps us in slavery. It keeps us in bondage. It's slavery. But if we believe this, that Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, if we believe that, then we are free. We are free to go wherever and do whatever God calls us to do. That might not be even staying here in Fairfield. He may have called you to Fairfield for a little while. Then he may send you overseas. He may send you into one of these places like China that's much more hostile to the gospel than it is right here. Are you going to go? If you're afraid of death, you won't go. So fear of death is slavery. But I do want to encourage us with this that even though the fear of death is slavery God is sovereign over our death he's in control Psalm 139 verse 16 says your eyes saw me when I was formless all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. All of them, all of your days, all of my days were planned by God before we were even born, before they even began. We can't extend our life past that day or shorten our life from that day. That day is set. In stone. If God said it, nobody can undo it. Now, I'm not saying that we should be careless, reckless, unwise, right? We were called to be as shrewd as serpents. So I'm not saying just be crazy. I'm not saying go out and test God and say, okay, since my days have been written, I guess I can go stand in the middle of the street and wait on a bus to hit me. And if I'm if I die, I die. If I don't, then I, that's not my day. I'm not saying test God. Don't test God in that way. But do know that your days have been written, every single one of them before one began. And so if we know that that gives us freedom. Also, 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 says this. When I saw him, this is John, one of the apostles of Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. So he saw Jesus in all of his glory and all of his majesty, and he fell at his feet like a dead man. Now, this is John. John was one of his beloved disciples, one of his close knit disciples, one in the inner circle of his disciples. There were 12 disciples, but John was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. But when he saw Jesus in all of his glory and majesty, he fell at his feet like a dead man. It said he laid his right hand on me. So Jesus, even though John fell at his feet, Jesus lays his right hand on him and says this. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to what? Death and Hades. Jesus is saying, I'm in control. I got the keys to death. And I promise you this, if Jesus is holding on to anything, can't nobody snatch it out of his hands. You can't snatch the keys of death out of Jesus's hands. He's in sovereign, full control of that death. And so if we know this, if we know that Jesus is in control of death, that our days are written, that we can't add to them or take away from them, then we can live in such a way that goes about life without fear. Fear not, according to my research, fear not or don't be afraid is the most frequent and repeated command in the Bible. Fear not, do not be afraid is told to the believer over and over and over and over and over again in scripture. Fear not, don't be afraid is a command that we should take heed to, that should empower us. If we are in Christ Jesus, the one who has the keys to death in Hades, the one who has overcome death, the one who was victorious over death, that death couldn't even hold him in the grave. If we are following him, if we believe in him, then there is nothing that we need to fear. Even death itself, we don't have to fear. Now, knowing all this, I have a question to pose before you. What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to die for? Now, um, as Noah prayed earlier, um, we have some new babies in our midst and we have some babies on the way too. praise be to God for new life through children. So we have some young mamas in the room. Got some young mamas. Now. These young mothers with their children. They, I guarantee you, would do anything to provide for their children, anything to protect their children. So if little Jack, if little Abram, if little Anna, if little Samuel, 
If their lives were threatened, I guarantee you, I would put my life on it, that those mothers would give their life for their children's life. They will become mama bear if those kids were under attack and their lives were threatened. I guarantee you that they would die for their children. Men all the time go to war all across history. The battlefields are littered with the bodies of men that are putting their lives on the line. Why? Because they're going out to defend their country. They're going out to defend their families. Why? Because they love them. A mother would die for her child. Why? Because she loves her child. Men all the time go out and defend, even in bad ways, even on the blocks and gangs. Guys will be courageous and live their life to defend a block. They will put their life on the line for a block or for their reputation or whatever the case may be. Men will go and do this. Men will go and fight for this. They're willing to die for those types of things. People will die for what they love. We also see this from Scripture, and we need to be reminded of this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus was moved by love to come and live a life of perfection, perfect obedience to the Father. A life that we constantly fail to do, every single one of us, if we thought we had a perfect record, let me tell you now, you don't. Before God, all of us have sinned and all have fallen short. All of us. But Jesus, because God so loved the world, he came. He lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to, Jesus, um, to the Father. And then he died a death. He paid the wages of sin, although he didn't sin. He paid the wages of sin. Because of love. No greater love is this. One would lay down his life for his friends. Love drives what we are willing to die for. It's driven by love. So. The question is, do you love? This is for my believers. This is for those who call upon the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Do you love him enough to give your life for the gospel? Do you love your neighbor enough to give your life to make sure that they know him? To make sure that they are saved. Do you care enough about those who are around you to be willing to lay your life down? For the Christian, for the believer, we can be confident that we don't have to fear death. Verse 28 in Matthew 10, we read it earlier. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body where? Hell. 
in hell. So for the Christian, this is very good news that we are confident that we can even lay down our lives, but yet we will be resurrected. We will be with Jesus after death, eternity and glory with Jesus, the one who has paid the price, who's died for our sins and given us his righteousness. So once we die in Christ, we will experience the goodness of God. So after death, Philippians 1:21, for me to live is Christ. I can live my life living for Christ, proclaiming the glory of God, preaching the good news of the gospel. I can live my life. Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die gain. Death is not something that should be fearful for the Christian because we gain once we die. We gain glory. We gain eternity with God. We experience his goodness. We experience the place where there will be no more death, where there will be no more tears, where there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. That's what is awaiting the believer. Glory after our death so we can live our lives on mission, making disciples, just like Jesus was sending out the disciples, knowing that they're going to be persecuted knowing that they're going to be thrown in jail, knowing that they're even going to be killed. But they went out with this message because they knew that death was not the end and actually death was gain. They knew that. Do you know that? Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Hopefully, if you are a believer here tonight, we can rejoice knowing that I don't even have to fear death anymore. I'm free. I can live life in perfect obedience. Not perfect, but I can live life in full obedience to God. We're going to stumble along the way. We're going to fail. We're going to sin, obviously. But we can be obedient to what God is calling us to do because we don't have to fear death. We're not held in bondage to slavery, the fear of death anymore. So this is good news for the believer. Really good news. But I know that everybody in this room may not be a believer. I would be foolish to think that everybody in this room or even anybody under the sound of my voice that all of us are believers, that all of us believe in Christ. I would be foolish to think that. So for the believers, we don't have to fear death. But for those of us in this room, those of you in this room who are not in Christ Jesus, you should fear death. Because for the believer, when we die, because the wrath of God was already put on Jesus at the cross and we've been given his righteousness. Like I said, we enter into glory, eternity, experiencing the goodness of God. But for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever. What you will experience if you die apart from Christ. You will experience the wrath of God. The full wrath of God is on those 
who do not believe in Jesus, who have not given their life, who have not repented, confessed of their sins and turned from their sins and believed in the gospel of Jesus. The full wrath of God is on you. And when you die, you will experience it for all of eternity. You need to know that. That is a scary thing. That you will experience the full wrath of God for all of eternity, not for one day, not for 10 days, not for 10 years, not for 30 years, not for a million years, for all of eternity. It's not something to play with. Second Peter. Verse three. This is a sobering verse as well. And we're going to look at that in a second. But I do want to share with you something else that my brother Noah, he sent me a couple weeks back. I want to give you some imagery because in verse 28, remember, it says, don't fear those who kill the body that are not able to kill the soul, but rather fill it. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body where in hell. Hell is a reality for those apart from Jesus. So I want to share something with you. Noah sent this to me. It's kind of giving you imagery. So I want us to take a second to imagine something. This is kind of imagery of hell. It's described like this. First, it's a place of great physical pain. Now, we see from a story in Luke that Jesus was talking about this rich young ruler who died and he went to Hades or hell. And it's kind of showing the experience of that. And it says his response to it was, I'm in agony in this flame. Now, we've all experienced pain to some degree, all of us, physical pain. Um, I can remember when I was little, um, we used to have this stove that had, it was an electric stove and it had an eye on it. It wasn't a gas stove, so there wasn't an actual flame that came up, but it was an eye. So it was like a coil that was black when it was turned off. But when you turned it on, it lit up to this like, reddish orange bright reddish orange color right so when i was little i was enamored by that i just thought that was the coolest thing i would look at it and it would light up and my grandma would always be like don't you touch that you can look at it but don't you touch it well being a kid the mothers and fathers in this room with little kids know how defiant little kids can be I waited for the time that my grandmother wasn't looking and that thing was lit up red. And I was just like drawn to it like I was in a trance and I touched it. And when I touched that thing, I yelled in agony. It was painful. I understood at that moment why she told me not to touch it. I got it. She didn't have to teach me, tell me anymore. I experienced the pain and so I knew I'm not doing that again. Um, for some of my ethnic women in the room, um, you may have experienced uh, a hot comb or a flat iron. And you've been 
getting your hair flattened, straightened, whatever, and hits that ear or the side of your face. Y'all know that don't feel good. Burns. I've seen ladies that had little scars on their ears from being burnt. It's painful. But those pains are temporary. We've all experienced it. Now, I want you to think about this. What's the most painful thing that you've ever experienced? A perm, I heard. But think about it. Have you broken bones? Have you been burnt? Have you been cut? What's the most physical, deeply painful physical pain that you've ever experienced? And also think about the emotional pains that you've experienced in life. The loss of a loved one. The abandonment of a father. The heartbreak of a divorce or a breakup these emotional pains. Think about all these different pains, both physical and emotional that we've experienced. And it says that the response to this, we will feel these pains for all of eternity. There will be no relief from the pain, the physical pain, the emotional pain. You will always feel it. The response to this, it says there will be weeping, Weeping is an uncontrollable crying. There will be weeping in hell, uncontrollable. This is not something that you have control over. It has control over you. Weeping. There will be wailing. This loud, this screeching wail of pain, this, this almost high-pitched yell of the pain that you're experiencing. There will be wailing. There will be gnashing of teeth. People will be angry. They will not be glad that they are there. All this pain that you had experienced. Also, hell is a place of darkness. Imagine, this is one of the things that I fear, if I'm honest, blindness that I can't see anymore. That all I see is darkness all the time. But even if you are blind, even if you know someone who's experienced blindness, if someone is in Christ Jesus, if I, for some reason, went blind, I would have the hope that once I died that I would regain my sight. But in hell, it's a place of darkness forever. You would never be able to see anything. Hell is a place of darkness. Also, hell is a bottomless pit. Now, imagine when you want to rest. What do we do? We usually do what you're doing. Sit down on a bench, on a chair. We get ready to go to bed. We hop in the bed, go to sleep. We rest up against an object, a bed, a chair. If you're dizzy or if you're tired, when you've been standing up, you can lean up against that wall and kind of rest off of your feet, off of the weight of your feet. But hell is a bottomless pit. It says in this growing panic, if someone is falling, he kicks his feet and waves his arm. He stretches out and he lunges, but he finds nothing. 
just falling in suspension forever. These descriptions are hell of hell are nothing to play with. It's nothing that you want to experience because there's no relief. It doesn't end. When we have a broken bone, we know that the pain will someday end because it would heal. When we have a heartache, we know that over time we will recover from that heartache and won't feel the sting of the pain of that heartache anymore. But in hell, you will experience the pain and the suffering forever and ever and ever. It will never, ever, ever, million, billion, trillion years end. Always. So today, if you are not in Christ, you should fear death. Second Peter three, three through five. And I'm going to end here. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days. So mockers. Mockers of the faith will come in the last days scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Jesus is too slow. I thought y'all been saying Jesus will come. Y'all been saying Jesus is coming back forever. He ain't back yet. Mockers. Saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Ain't nothing going to change. Jesus ain't coming back. Y'all keep saying Jesus is coming back. He ain't coming back. That's a lie. That's a myth. That's a fairy tale. That's not real. Jesus ain't coming back. Give that up. Mockers, scoffers. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire. Now, the world once was destroyed by flood, by water. But Jesus gave us the covenant, the rainbow, what that really represents. According to our culture, that represents something different. But what the rainbow truly represents is the covenant between God and man that he would never flood the earth again. That's what the rainbow stands for, that God promises us he will never flood the earth again. But here. It says instead of flooding the earth and being destroyed by water. The earth is being stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact with the Lord. One day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day time for us is for us. We need time. God exists outside of time. He's eternal. He's infinite. He exists outside of time. Time is for us. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. If you are unbeliever today, he is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Thieves don't tell you they're coming to your house to break in. You don't know when they're coming. That day, the day of the Lord, when he returns, is coming like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. So for the believer today, I want to encourage you that. When we die in Christ Jesus, 
glory awaits us. The goodness of God is awaiting us once we die. So do not fear death. Do not allow death to have power over you. Do not be a slave to the fear of death. We can be on mission doing what God has called us to do with boldness because we don't have to fear death because for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Before the unbeliever, fear death. Because once it comes, the wrath of God is going to be revealed upon you for all of eternity. That's a serious thing. And I hope you consider that today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you thanking you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that as we have talked about this sobering reality, the reality of death, that those who are believers would be encouraged, that they would know that they don't have to fear death. They don't have to be restricted by the fear of death. They don't have to be a slave to death because you have already numbered our days. And we can walk with boldness and confidence, knowing that you will receive us in glory after we die. We have been given righteousness through Christ Jesus, and we will experience you with joy and all of your goodness in all of eternity. Before the unbeliever today, I pray that if anybody is in here that's an unbeliever today, that they would reconsider. That they would be drawn by you and they would move towards repentance, confessing of their sins and turning away from their sins and accepting the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Salvation is available to those who repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would make that known to anyone in this room who does not know you, who has not put their faith in you, who has not put their trust in you, who can't call you Lord and Savior at this point in time. I pray, Lord, that you would be moving by my mere words, empowered by your spirit on their hearts to draw them to yourself so that everyone in this room and everyone under the sound of my voice, when we die, we will face you in glory and be with you forevermore. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for this reality that through Christ Jesus, we can be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.